Good morning, everyone. Celebration Church welcoming our campuses also at Stevens Point, Appleton. Glad you could join us this morning. And those of you who are online, could we all stand together and let's say the Apostles' Creed together. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. He, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He descended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. As I said earlier, uh, Pastor Mark is in Germany right now uh, doing Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage conferences over there for our U.S. military. And we have a very special guest speaker this morning, Peter Haas, who is pastor at Substance Church in Minneapolis and had dinner with Peter and his executive pastor who is also here, Nicholas, Nicholas, Nathan, I want to say Nicholas, it's Italian, dude, uh, Nick, Nick, Put, Nate Puccini, and uh, awesome. So uh, we want you to welcome them this morning, and uh, all, Peter's going to give you a little history background about how he's connected with all of us here at Celebration. It's very interesting. And don't forget, those of you who are here and at our campuses, uh, Peter's written a couple of great books, and they're going to be on sale at our guest services counters at the end of the service. Would you please welcome Peter Haas with us? All right, how you guys doing? You guys feeling good in the house of God today? You made it. Come on, you're in church today. I believe church should be a joyful place, and it is, a, it is an honor to even be able to preach back in my, my home state, Wisconsin. I'm in Town, USA. Am I more excited than you? I don't know. But man, like, I just need to say this. I need to get this off my chest. Even though I pastor in Minneapolis, I know what you're thinking. Are you a Viking fan? And the answer is absolutely not. I am a devoted, lifelong pastor, uh, Packer fan. I was going to say I've invited the Packers into my heart, but it would have come off wrong. No, seriously, I've only missed five games in 22 years. Okay, I'm hardcore. I'm just letting you know. And, and, but how many of you know Viking fans need to know Jesus too? They do. And now more than ever after they lost the championship, and now we have to host the team that beat us? How awful is that? Okay, so one of my teaching pastors is a Viking fan, and his son asked him, he's like, Daddy, what's a Super Bowl? And he said, I'm not sure, son. We're Viking fans. <laughs> I know, I know. It's tragic. But for, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that for only $20 a month, you can sponsor a poor Viking child. It'll feed them. <laughs> And we're going to clothe them with a special t-shirt saying, we don't win Super Bowls, but we host them. <laughs> oh, snap. Even Packer fans are like, that's just mean. But uh, no, seriously, you guys, it is so fun to, believe, uh, to be here. Uh, believe it or not, I actually have known Pastor Mark for almost 26 years. I've known Pastor Mark. Okay, I, I grew up in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Marshfield! 
Nobody's from Marshfield. All right, so uh, we, I, I pastored there for actually about 10 years uh, before um, moving to the Twin Cities to plant my current church 14 years ago. And so I actually went to high school with uh, Pastor Mark's daughter, Leslie, and, and son-in-law, Ross, who led worship at this campus. And of course, I, I grew up with Pastor Bob Gustafson, Bob Cole, Phil Gunger. They were all in my youth ministry. And oh my goodness, I cannot even tell you how many times Pastor Mark had to sit all down, myself included, and say, if you guys would just stop being idiots for a minute, God would use you. (laughs) And sure enough, after all these years, it still hasn't happened, but I'm just saying there's hope in Christ. It's going to happen someday. No, seriously, I I want you guys to all know uh, Pastor Mark and Debbie have been our heroes to my wife and I for for years. And and obviously when we heard about uh, Debbie going to be with the Lord, we were devastated. And I, I just... I want to say this real fast uh, to Pastor Mark, wherever you're at ministering in Germany, we just want you to know that we love you and um, we're praying for you and the fam. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. And and another one of the reasons I've always really loved uh, your pastor, Pastor Mark, is, you know, he uses comedy to connect with people. In fact, uh, years ago, he actually inspired me to, when I started writing books um, on a national level, I started, actually, I made the decision that I'm going to write comedy books. And so, uh, believe it or not, I write comedy books on spirituality. And um, one of the subjects that I, I wrote a book on uh, was happiness. I wrote a comedy book on, on, on happiness uh, called Broken Escalators. And again, they're, they're for sale at all the campuses. Uh, but it's, it's really, I, I found all these, this weird research on happiness, and I, I wrote a book on how it, it measures up to what the Bible teaches on happiness, and it's actually really, really illuminating, and I, of course, I put it all in, into comedy, but I, I wanted to share a, a part of that book, Broken Escalators, today, and talk about that subject of happiness, both from a research standpoint and from a biblical standpoint, and, and really, in the book, I, I go into the history of happiness research. And what was interesting is way back in the 50s and in the 60s, there was all this research showing that happiness comes from having a sense of control over your life. And notice I said a sense of control. I think at the end of the day, uh, none of us really control our lives, but uh, there's all this research showing if you can give people a sense of control over their lives, they're more likely to be happy and they would live longer. And so um, not surprisingly, this research gave birth to the self-help movement and a lot of um, clinical counseling really was, was designed around this idea of how do we help people feel more in control of their lives. And sure enough, now we have tens of thousands of books. There's literally 50,000 books on how to get in control of your kids nowadays. You know what I'm saying? Is it really helping us? Well, it gives us a sense of control maybe, but you know what I'm saying? Like, and we buy these books in bulk on, on every imaginable, how to get in control of our bodies, how to get in control of our diets, how to get in control of our finances, right? Because we all feel out of control, right? At some point or another, you will feel out of control. And I, I think about how many times I have felt this over the years. It just as kind of an example of this, uh, a while back, my wife 
was paging through Facebook on her laptop, and she saw this picture of a young woman in our church. And of course, this, this young lady in our church had just given birth a few months earlier, and she had lost all of her baby weight, and so she took a, a full body pic just to celebrate her achievement, like, like I did it, um, I lost all my baby weight. And of course, my wife is very, very affirming. She loves to encourage other ladies in our church. And so she logged in, and, and she said, girl, you look stinking hot after that baby and press return. And of course, the second my wife posted that comment, suddenly my face showed up next to that comment. <laughs> and so it looked like I was saying, girl, you look stinking hot after that baby. Because <laughs> it turned out that my wife was logged into my account and she didn't know it, right? And, and so again, I, now... People love to have an affirming and an encouraging pastor. <laughs> but nobody wants a pastor that says, girl, you look stinking hot after that, baby. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, am I right? You see, uh, so immediately my wife began to panic and she's freaking out. And of course, you know, she's trying to delete it. But of course, Facebook had just changed the entire format of where the delete post function was, and my wife couldn't find it on the computer, and so she's freaking out, like, I can't delete it, I can't delete it, and so finally, all of a sudden, she calls me up, and she's like, she's like, Peter, you're never going to believe what I did, and I'm like, what did you do? And then when she told me, I'm like, you did not. And, and like, do you realize how many people like see every post that I post? And, and, and so all of a sudden, you know, I'm thrust into this tech support role of a lifetime. You know what I'm saying? And with every second, my reputation was shifting from Pastor Peter to Predatory Pete. <laughs> Well, okay, after a few shouts and a few apologies, my wife and I managed to delete the comment. We, we slayed predatory Pete, so to speak. And, and to this day, I have no idea how many people actually saw that comment. But one thing I can tell you for sure is that every time I see that young woman in our church, I speak very formally to her. How was how your husband? You know what I'm saying? Like I, that's the way I talk to her. Let me just say, have you ever been out of control in your life at some point or another? Have you ever had a moment where you're like, this is not what I expected? And some of you are like, wow, Pastor Peter, that, that, that story you just shared just sums up my entire year. And maybe you're here today and you're, you know, your life is not going the way you expected it. Maybe you're here today and your, your finances, your marriage, your kids aren't turning out the way you expected. And you're just, you find yourself in this place where you're just totally out of control. Well, again, I just want to point out that happiness research of, of happiness tends to increase when the feeling of control in our lives is higher. But when it's lower, happiness tends to nosedive. Okay, so at some point or another, you and I are going to be overwhelmed in life. Now, Here's where things get really interesting, okay? And if you can stick with me, what's interesting is that all of the research on happiness actually contradicts itself at some point when you get into it, okay? Because this is where it gets really interesting. Although research shows and life expectancy increases when we have a feeling of control, research also shows that control is an illusion, that it actually is not possible to truly get in control of your life and that humans have this chronic problem of thinking they control way more than they do, which creates all sorts of havoc, okay? Now, I know, like, 
wait a second, Pastor Peter, are you just contradicting what you just said? Yes, okay? And, and just hold on, because we're going to bring a third view into this from the Bible. Okay, so for example, okay, this is kind of weird, but um, research shows that if you and I roll a pair of dice from our own hands, that the average human believes that their odds of, of rolling the right number increases when it comes from our hands versus somebody rolling for us. So if you've ever played Yahtzee, it's always irritating when somebody rolls the dice for you. You're like, no, give it to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, because there's something in us, even though it's mathematically absurd that somehow we can control it, we all feel like we can control it more when we somehow played a part, which is why, okay, you'll notice that in lotteries, the reason why in lotteries they have people pick their numbers or they have like a little scratch-off card where you get to choose what you scratch off, what they, they, the reason why they do that is because they found psychologically people will spend 10 times more money on lottery games where they feel like they can control it somehow. In other words, what they're doing is, is they're selling the illusion of control. Even though mathematically it makes, we all know it's mathematically absurd to think that we could can control it. We can't, right? But, but what they know is that if, we can, if they can give us the feeling of control, we will spend twice as much money and be more happy about spending it. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so what they're doing is, is they're selling us the illusion of control. And it's actually, I don't mean to be crass, but it's actually, we're sold the illusion of control all, all over the place. Really, in, in the self-help industry is banking literally on this idea that we will buy into this illusion that somehow we can control ourselves. Okay, so for example, um, be it insurance agents or security systems, okay? We, we pay for all sorts of things that make us feel more secure, more strategic, more, quote-unquote, in control. And, and here's why some of that can be dangerous. I'm not saying those things are bad, but I'm saying here's why those things can be dangerous because research shows that when people are given the illusion of control who then lose it, they're worse off than ever before and they have some of the shortest life expectancy of people on the earth. People who thought they were in control of their life and then found out at some point or another, I'm not in control of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like you worked out every day and you still had the heart attack, right? Or you bought every parenting book out there and your kids still didn't turn out the way you wanted them to. You know what I'm saying? I think we all know examples of people who got discouraged. That's why, okay, so for example, there's all this research on Christians who've walked away from the faith and the vast majority of people did so because... They listened to some preacher who gave them an oversimplified formula from the scripture, and when it didn't work the way they wanted it in the timeline they wanted it, they automatically said, you see, God isn't real, God's word isn't true. The truth is, is they just didn't study the Bible enough to understand how God actually brings about happiness in our lives. And some silly little formula really just didn't do it, and that's why they gave up. And now they're doubly cynical, and they're doubly depressed. Because all of a sudden, even what they told was hope suddenly didn't work out for them. Well, let me, let me contrast true Christianity maybe to those types of forms of Christianity. You see, Christianity is actually not self-help. Rather, it's Christ-help. Do you see the difference? It's not self-help. It's Christ-help. And, 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 and hear me here. It's not about getting in control. Rather, it's about losing control to the one who controls it all. 
Do you see the difference? Now, some of you, you may say, oh, those are just, those are very, very subtle distinctions. Well, actually, it is the distinction. It's the very thing that makes all the difference in the world. It's, it's that we're not trying to gain control using the Bible. We're actually trying to lose control to the one who controls it all, who also, by the way, loves you. And that's why it's good news is because we actually get to surrender this whole need to control things to the one who controls it all. And I, I, because here's the, here's the truth. Despite all the things that we can control, there are far more things that we cannot control, right? You can't control the economy. You can't control your, your genetics. There's certain things. People who work out still get heart attacks. People who have home security systems still get broken into. And no matter how much I try to control my social media, predatory Pete somehow shows up and screws it all up. You know what I'm saying, okay? So the, now the reason why I'm pointing all this out is because uh, today we're going to study a couple in the Old Testament named Abraham and Sarah, okay? And what's interesting about them is that after God promised to bless them, after God promised to bless them and have their descendants as numerable as, numerable as the stars in the skies, okay, right after that, the very first thing he did to teach them how to be his people was he stripped them of their illusion of control. In other words, everything they thought they could control circumstantially, God actually stripped away from them to teach them a much more profound lesson, and it's this. Your soul finds rest in God alone. Are you hearing me? You see, uh, and, and I'm not going to go through their entire story, but almost every circumstantial thing that Abraham could have derived his happiness from was actually stripped from him. Actually, th this is kind of the irony of Abraham and Sarah's story, is that the moment they became God followers, things actually seemed to get worse rather than better. And I know that's kind of counterintuitive because Christ said that he came that we might have life to the fullest, which is still true. But um, God wanted to make sure that they understood that true happiness can really only come from God alone. That we don't, we don't take God's promises and just try to control our lives and get circumstantial happiness by doctoring everything perfectly. And in fact, the exact opposite is true. Happiness is not a circumstantial problem. It's a spiritual problem. And until God is first in our lives, we're always going to have this prom problem of trying to doctor everything in our circumstances. And here's how you know if you've learned this lesson. All you got to do, if, you're, if really, if, if you know if God's ready to promote you, all you have to do is look at your prayers. If you pray for circumstantial things more than praying for more of God, chances are you haven't learned the lesson yet because you still think those things will somehow make you happy. They won't. There's no circumstantial thing in life that's somehow going to make you happy. Ultimately, your soul finds rest in God alone, Psalm 62, 1. And, and, and I, I believe that when God finally gets in his proper place, all of a sudden, it just it changes everything. And so all we have to do is look at our prayers to find out if, if our prayers are obsessed with circumstantial things, praying for circumstantial things, then chances are we still haven't learned the lesson of Abraham. And so we're going to study that today. And, and, and let, me, let me, as we study Abraham and Sarah out of Genesis 18, I, I want to tell you the, the moment in my life where I really learned the lesson of Abraham, where God stripped me of control. And once I finally learned that lesson, everything started clicking in my life. And uh, just to give you a little more backstory, my wife and I have three kids. We got three awesome, feisty, fun kids. We've got two teenage girls and we've got a 12-year-old boy. And you'll notice in the picture, um, the daughter that's standing next to me is my second daughter. She's, she's our middle child. And her name is True, kind of like true and false. Her name is True. 
And she's, she's lived up to her name in all sorts of cr- uh, crazy ways. Over the years, people would come up and they would pray for my family. And one of the weird things that would happen, you know how like in every church, there's those people that are a little bit spooky? You know what I'm saying? Come on. Some of you are like, um, I'm sitting next to that person. You know what I'm saying? Don't worry about it. Okay. But uh, like the, the people for years, they would come up to me and they would pray for me and they'd be like, your second daughter has a really strong prophetic gift on her life, and I want you to know that God is going to use her prophetically. And of course, you know, I, I believe in the prophetic in Scripture, uh, but yet, you know, when people would say that, I'd, I'd never know what to say to them. I'd always be like, cool. You know, like, what do you say? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't even know who you are or if you're really weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, all I know is I would say thank you every single time. And, and, and yet people would routinely do this about my second daughter. It was almost getting bizarre. And sure enough, by the time my daughter turned nine, um, the strangest stuff would happen to our family through my daughter. And it kind of, let me give you an example, okay? Um, so a few years ago, back when the housing market was bust, um, we, my wife and I uh, were trying to sell our house and move. And so we were putting our house on the market when it was devastating. And of course, the realtor just let us know, hey, um, Peter, just so you know, um, uh, when you put your house on the market today, the average house in your neighborhood, on average, takes 159 days to sell. Okay, so just be ready to be showing your house a lot. Be ready to be getting this for the long haul. And so my, my wife and I were talking about it. We had just put our house on the market and she said, what do you think? How long do you think it's going to take? And, and I'm like, well, this is what the realtor said. And immediately my daughter, True, she stopped us. And again, she was only like nine, nine and a half at the time. And she goes, and she goes, daddy, you don't have to worry about our house taking that long to sell because the Lord spoke to me about when our house would sell. And I was like, really? You know, like, and you know, keep in mind, this is coming from a nine-year-old. And she goes, yeah, the Lord said that he wants you to be encouraged that our house is going to sell in exactly five days from today, from when we put it on the market. And the Lord told me that you're going to be depressed on Saturday in four days, but on, on Sunday, you're going to get your asking price. So be encouraged. (laughs) And I remember I kind of laughed and I'm like, okay, true. You know, like my kids are crazy. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and, and, and I thought, that, honestly, I thought, wow, that's really specific. And, um, and sure enough, it happened exactly as she said. We did an open house on Saturday and everybody ripped on our house. I can't believe you're asking this. And so my wife and I were depressed on Saturday. And sure enough, on Sunday, somebody gave us the asking price for our house. And that was it. Now, how many of you are going to listen to your daughter just a little bit more after that? Okay, I was like, Like, honestly, I I was kind of freaked out by it. But then, like, literally the Lord would use my daughter like that time and time and time and time again. Weirdest ways. And it was just, so fast forward a few months, okay? Um, At the time, our church was just having a terrible time trying to buy property. Um, our, our, Our church had gone through this massive growth spurt and... Uh, believer, so we are multi-church, kind of multi-site church, just like Celebration. And at the time, um, we were doing, uh, we had built like a 300-seat TV studio right outside of downtown Minneapolis. And then we did, we did seven services in four locations, uh, mainly portable. So I, basically, we, it took like 600 volunteers just to set up and tear down all of our portable sites at all of our campuses every Sunday. And I was weary. I was weary of it. 
set up, tear down every single week. Over 500 weeks we had done this, and it just felt like forever. And get this, even when we had the money to buy property, we could not buy property to save our lives because every time we tried to buy property, the city would uh, would just shut it down in some sort of illegal way. And everywhere we tried to buy property, the the cities would say, absolutely not. We refuse to allow a church to come into our city. And and, and we'd be like, it's not even legal for you to say that. And be like, and, and almost every one of them said, uniformly, we don't care, go ahead and sue us, we can tie you up in litigation for years, and they would bully the seller out of selling to us. And so, literally, even though we had all this money in the bank, we could not buy property for five years, simply because I I wasn't, I just didn't want to sue the city. It's kind of hard to reach the city you're trying to reach, you know, the city with Jesus while you're suing them, you know what I'm saying? So, I kept thinking, you know, what do I do? And of course, in the middle of this time, I, like, uh, our, our people would start leaving our church. Every time a property would fall through, they, people would leave our church. You, Pastor Peter, you clearly have no idea how to lead. And they'd be like, like you're an idiot. There's got to be some reason why we're not getting a property. And of course, I couldn't tell them all of the drama. I couldn't tell them all of the illegal things that were going on at the time without turning it into a debacle in the newspapers. And I, I just literally, I, I felt so powerless in that moment. I, I, I was out of control and I did not know what to do. In fact, so many people kept leaving that all of a sudden, I mean, we had lost over 500 people one year in our church. And, and I knew, uh, I, I was just depressed. And that to make matters worse, we had, these, we had a couple awkward staff transitions and, and that just didn't go so well. I know that never happens or anything like that at Celebration ever. I'm sure you guys are all blissfully happy. Nobody ever leaves Celebration Church ever, right? Because this is just a church where everybody just says, praise the Lord all the time. And you just hug each other all the time. There's never any politics. All the staff members love each other. They get up at 4 a.m. to pray for each other. And they end every day with a trust fall. <laughs> but at my church, it was a little different. You know what I'm saying? It was just a different church. And, and we had some staff members leave awkwardly. And, of course, we had, literally, we had lost over a 1,000 members. And, and it was like every week I'd come to church and people would just critique us. And of course, nobody really knew anything. It was, it, was, it was the most demoralizing experience in my life. And I remember thinking, I'd never felt so misjudged and, and misrepresented and misunderstood. And I, like, I got to the point where I realized, you know what, I'm, I'm not a good pastor. I'm going to quit. I hate this. In fact, um, really, actually, only 10% of people that go into pastoring will retire as a, as a pastor just because it's, you know, you just get beat up so often. And, and I remember thinking, oh, no, I'm going to be that statistic. Actually, I, I want to be that statistic. I don't want to endure more opinions from more people. I'm done with this. Uh, and I told my wife, and I, my wife is more spiritual than I am, and so she's like, you know, Peter, you're not going to quit. And, I, and so I, I literally made a decision that I'm going to wear her down by telling her every single day we're going to quit. And I did that for two months straight, believe it or not. And that's how discouraged I was. I I was so discouraged. And I I got to the point where I couldn't even hide it from my kids. I just wanted to quit. I'm like, I'm a lousy pastor. I couldn't figure out this church. And I kept her. I mean, we did. It was a great ride, but we're done. And um, and my kids would always be asking me, well, Daddy, why didn't we just get a building? And and I'm like, we can't. And and they're like, well, why can't we? And I'm like, "Uh, I, I didn't even know what to say. And, and yet in the middle of this dark season, my, my, my second daughter, True, came up to me again, and she was about 10 years old at the time, and she said, well, Daddy, I don't want you to be discouraged. I actually asked the Lord, when, it, when are we going to get a building? And guess what? He spoke to me just like he spoke to us about our house. And of course, the moment she said that, I was like, really? 
like, 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 what do you mean? Like, and, and she goes, well, we were, Daddy, Grandma Betty was just driving me past one of the buildings that didn't happen for us. And, and I just said, God, would you reveal yourself to me? And would you just show me when substance is going to get a building? And um, immediately she said, God told me that you are going to find a building by this next Thursday and you're going to decide to get it. So be encouraged. I'm like, by Thursday. And, and of course, I have no real estate meetings planned. I'm like, in my mind, I have no idea how this is supposed to happen. And then she goes, oh, daddy, by the way, it's beautiful. God even showed me what it was going to look like. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And she goes, um, she goes, it'll have a double layer to it. And I'm like, a double layer? She goes, you know, like where people sit here and then they sit here. And I'm like, like a balcony? She goes, yes, like a balcony. And, um, and, and she said, it's covered in red. And, um, and, and I got to be honest with you. The moment she said balcony, Peter the skeptic rose up and kicked in, it kicked in the door and was like, no way. No way. I mean, like, I know all the real estate. I've looked at hundreds of properties. I know everything on the market right now that is even available to us. There's no way that there's a building out there with a balcony that I don't know about, and, and then somehow I'm going to magically find it by this time next week. I, I, Peter the skeptic just kicked in, and, and, and right before I laughed at my daughter, and I, I know that sounds very cynical, but I, I was in a cynical state. I was in that position of, of just being discouraged, and, and right before I laughed, at my daughter's word, all of a sudden, this Bible verse came out of nowhere and just punched me in the gut. And it's Genesis 18, verse 14. And I want to read it to you. Actually, we're going to read the previous verse, Genesis 18, 13, okay? And it comes from the story where God tells Abraham and Sarah, you guys are going to have a child. Even though you're way past childbearing age, you guys are going to have a child. And when God said that to them, even though he had promised them that before, Sarah literally laughed out loud at God and said, in, in the middle of this moment, as she's laughing out loud at God, God rebukes her in Genesis 18, 13, saying, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? And listen to what God asks her this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And, he, and then he says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year. And Sarah, you will have a son. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this is because I think at some point or another, all of us are going to experience that discouragement in our lives where we get cynical, where we have this promise from God, but it just doesn't seem to be bearing out in our lives. You've heard a promise from God's word, and yet there feels like there's a delay between God's promise and God's power. Have you ever been there before? Come on. Have you ever felt like that? Like, why does it seem like, and it always seems to work for other people more than us, right? You know what I'm saying? You're desperate to get pregnant and fertile myrtle is just cranking out babies. You know what I'm saying? You're like, what? How did that happen? You know, it always feels like you're trusting God for healing, and then little Johnny's like, my hand they all got healed. And you're like, what? You're like, it does, sometimes it doesn't feel like life is fair. Listen, I, in that moment, I felt like God rebuked me. Peter, is anything too difficult for me? And I remember I finally stopped and I'm like, okay, God, if <laughs> I, I finally repented, I'm like, okay, God, you can do it. If you, if you want to provide for me a building with a balcony by this time next Thursday, then you, you can do it. Well, four days passed nothing happens, right? And this is, nothing is happening. And so Thursday, the day my daughter pointed out, is fast approaching, two days away, nothing's happening. And, and I, I thought, oh no, you know, like this is the moment where my daughter might miss it. You know what I'm saying? And then I have to have that weird conversation as a pastor to her, you know, to my daughter. 
Sometimes we don't always hear from the Lord. You know, I thought, you know, is that going to happen, right? And all of a sudden on Tuesday, I got a phone call from my administrator and he calls me up and he's like, Pastor, I totally forgot to tell you about a real estate meeting we were going to be doing in downtown Minneapolis. Can you make it? There's this new building that came on the market and I'm like, shut up. Like, what do you mean? Like, you guys are looking at a building for for substance? And he's like, yeah, can you make it? I know this is kind of your sermon writing day. Can you make it? And I'm like, yeah. So I, I get off the phone and my daughter hears me it was before school and she heard me uh, having this conversation. She goes, Daddy, you're going to go look at a building today, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, I'm telling you that. She's like, Dad, again, look for a building with a balcony. And she goes, oh, yeah, um, it's covered in red. Just know that it's covered in red. And, and I forgot to tell you, the Lord told me this too. She goes, you'll know this is the one that God is going to provide for us when you look up and you say, Wow. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means because I look at most buildings and say, I don't say, wow. But anyway, so two hours later, I'm in downtown Minneapolis getting a a tour of the historic Wesley building. And I walked in and I looked up and and what's crazy about this building is that it has a glass dome over both the atrium and another glass dome over the auditorium. And I looked up at the glass dome, the, the cupola, and I said, literally the word came flying out of my mouth, wow. And the moment I said it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just said, wow. And I'm telling myself, I just said, wow. And the staff was like, what's up with that? Like they thought I had kind of lost my mind. I'm like, just shut up. And then I started taking pictures, right? And so in fact, here's the glass dome over the auditorium. Check this out. Here's the picture. And so I, I literally, yeah, I know, wow, everybody says. I had this Holy Spirit buzz going on. And of course, my daughter, she went to school that day and she thought, you know what? I'm going to draw a picture for my dad to see if, so that he has a side-by-side comparison to see if this is the building that he's looking at. And when I walked in the door after school, like after I got home from work and she was home from school, she came running up to me with this drawing she made. She goes, Daddy, is this the building you saw today? Because this is the building God showed me. And when I saw her picture... I mean, I freaked out. Here's the picture, side-by-side comparison. That's the picture I took four hours earlier, and that's the picture she drew. I mean, what are the odds of a building? Notice it's covered in red, and the balcony. I mean, what are the odds that a 10-year-old could even draw a circle? I can't even draw circles like that. I mean, like, I I just, but like that she would nail it almost exactly. And, And when I saw that, I'm like, you know what? I think this is a sovereign miracle from God. And sure enough, we got our trustees together and we made the decision and we, we bought the building. And I'm telling you, church, it's in the coolest part of downtown Minneapolis. It's right in the middle of all the Super Bowl festivities. In fact, it was total chaos at our church this morning, right outside of the, the main restaurant district. I mean, coolest location you could ever pick for a church, this historic 125-year-old building. And... Um, Literally, it would cost $40 million to build this thing, and we got it for $2 million. In fact, we already launched two services in that location every Sunday at our downtown location. And then, and then if that wasn't enough, the very same year, God gave us another supernatural miracle and gave us a $22 million building on the north suburbs for, for, for pennies on the dollar. And we were moving into that, and now we have three services there. And here's the side-by-side picture. And um, two huge buildings for a price that, that doesn't make any sense. It literally doesn't make any sense. When people, when people ask me, how in the world did your church do this? Like, in the natural, I'm like, in the natural, we couldn't have done it. It was literally a God story. And and what's great about that is, guess what? Only God gets the credit. And might I suggest to you today that he is doing a story in your life 
that you can't get the credit for. Only he can get the credit. Where, what if the story in your life wasn't that you were such a great parent or that you were such a great spouse and that you were such a great financial manager? What if the story was this? You were terrible at everything and yet God had mercy on you and changed your life, redeemed you. What if his story was this? That even though things were not as you thought, that you just continued to surrender to God and eventually he turned things around. You see, I believe that God brought you to church today because he wants that story in your life. And I, I just have this sense, there's a few of you, you're in church today and you're just discouraged. And God wants to remind you, hey, listen, I never promised that I would do everything that you wanted in the timeline that you wanted. But guess what? He still did promise. How he gives you life to the full? Just by, just by surrender. And if, if you could just hold on, I'm telling you, God is going to fulfill some of your craziest dreams in, in ways that you never thought possible. And all you got to do is just stay plugged into God. Would you? Just wherever you're at, even if you're a little skeptical today, I just want to end with a simple little prayer where we just surrender to God. And, and maybe you, you're here today and you're like, I don't feel like I'm in control of my life. You know what? That's the perfect place that God wants you to be. Let's just surrender all control to this God and watch what he does. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for our lives. Thank you for, for weaving a story that may not make sense right now and may not always feel good, but Lord, you've got a plan to take us to a pleasant place. And Lord, we just decide in our hearts to trust you no matter how it looks. Lord, even if we only have a tiny little bit of faith, take that faith and multiply it in crazy ways. And if you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for sharing God's word with me. Thank you, Pastor Peter.